the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in, we'll chat, and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Super Tuesday. Have you voted today? If either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton looks vulnerable to challenge after Super Tuesday's polling, the upset could show up in the stock market. Worst case scenario is it continues to be a draw on the Democratic side and nobody is gaining momentum on the Republican side. It really looks like there's, I mean, at this point in time, if you can't get past single digits against Donald Trump. It looks like it's Donald Trump's campaign, unless there's a bombshell or a skeleton out there. If frontrunner Clinton looks weaker than expected against Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, a self-proclaimed Democratic Socialist, that could be a negative for stocks. So it's going to be a lot to watch today. Um, eh, I don't get so caught up into it that it, I'm going to say this is the most important day of any day ever. I'm not that dramatic. Um, I'm dramatic enough to say, hey, happy March 1st. Hasn't been the best stock market in the first two months of the year so far. Quite quant, quant <laughs> Quite the contrary. You know when you're looking for a word it just doesn't come out correctly? That's where I'm at right now. So oil price is a little bit higher. Yay! Stock markets tend to like that these days. Not always. Usually the thinking is oil prices are higher. That means we won't be buying real things. We'll be buying gasoline. And once it burns, it's gone forever. And those dang Saudis get our money. But right now, oil prices are a proxy of inflation. Not always, but today. Uh, or at least today we're like, we want some inflation versus deflation or sideways. I guess that's the way to say it. Today is the first day of March. I think baseball starts this month, right? By the end of the month or at least early next month. Uh, first day of any month means new inflows in the stock market, typically. Today is Super Tuesday. Presidential race issues uh, on the on the front burner instead of the back burner, on the front burner. 
So oil and policy stimulus trades are probably the biggest drivers of things at the moment. Um, what's given a little policy stimulus trade today is tied towards the weaker than expected manufacturing purchasing managers index readings, the PMI for February, basically around the globe. Now get this. China, Japan, Japan Spain, Italy, France, and the UK all posted manufacturing PMI readings that were not only below expectations, but were below the prior readings, telling you things, the brakes are getting hit hard. If you, if you thought we were slowing at 25, well, we just slowed at 20. Um, China had the official PMI reading, and um, just kind of a big, big start of disappointment for around the globe today. So... Stimulus will be added to the fire. What does that mean? It means banks around the world will print money uh, or say the cost of money to borrow it. It's so cheap that we'll just basically give it to you away for nothing. Go risk that money and give it to the populace. Have them build buildings for their corporations. Have them employ people building those buildings. Go give it to the people. Have them go buy real estate. Once they do that, they'll have something they own. They'll fix it up. They'll they'll work the elbow grease, which equals uh, paint and other things that you know stimulate economy. But that's kind of where we are right now. We're in this false world of cheap money equals demand. Cheap money does not create demand. Uh, demand creates demand, and right now there's not a lot of demand. So the thinking right now is. Fed President Dudley, who is an FOMC voter, he conceded that the balance of risk to his growth and inflation outlooks for the United States may be starting to tilt slightly to the downside. So the Federal Reserve has a big meeting this month. Will they or won't they raise interest rates? She loves me, she loves me not. She loves me, she loves me not. She's never loved me. She uses me. She comes back to me, she... She leaves again. You can tell my love is not the best, huh? Um, South Korea reported a better than expected 12.2% year-over-year decline in February exports. Okay, that's not good. Um, February marked South Korea's 15th consecutive year-over-year decline in exports. That's not good. We like a lot of South Korean cars in the United States, a lot of South Korean uh, computers and phones. So there's some troubling developments going on out there. According to the S&P Standard & Poor's Capital IQ Monitor, fourth quarter earnings are on track to decline 4.4%. But more more worrisome here, first quarter earnings are now estimated to decline 6.1% versus the 1.2% growth rate that was projected on January 1. Second quarter earnings are expected to decline 1.6%, so it looks like an earnings recession. So we have some weak technicals, some policy stimulus hope, some opportunistic action in the oil pits. Um, And that's what we can hang our hats on today. It's not the best. We open higher, again, on, well, things get to these levels and they bounce back. And oil looks a little bit better, showing you more demand. Maybe. Well, maybe not. Maybe it's a cut in supply. 
Ten-year Treasury sits at 1.74%. Going to be interesting today. So, again, I guess it'll be interesting tomorrow to see how the world reacts to Super Tuesday. People are starting to freak out about him. The dude, can he win? So 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. You can find me at robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com. So um, moving onward and upward. So, you know, again, Super Tuesday is going to be a pretty big issue for us to work through. Um, Yesterday I talked a little bit about Carl Icahn. And the reason I brought it up was um, he's just having a bad year. And he's had very good years, and he's very brash, and he gets on CNBC. And I hate the fact that he can go on CNBC and says, you know, I think Apple is a $200 stock. I And then, he, you know, I own Apple. I don't like that because he comes across as more of a tout than an analyst. Now, again, he's the richest guy in New York City, so you kind of, like, tip your hat to him, right? Um, but be careful on who you follow, per se. Dollar Tree missed expectations by six cents. Revenue slightly below forecast. Company called it a challenging macroeconomic environment. Dollar Tree typically does well in bad economies. When people are like, all I got is a dollar. Well, go to Dollar Tree and go buy soda or whatever. Medtronic, they make medical devices. They matched expectations. Uh, Revenue was essentially in line. They said the integration of Covidian is delivering cost energies that are benefiting the company's performance. Elsewhere, Kate Spade, who makes handbags, purses. They had a good earnings quarter, but their revenue was short of forecast. Same store sales increased 7.6%. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Find me at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. So You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KBOW. Welcome in, Rob Black in Your Money. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. One of the things that kind of makes me ill is life insurance on a child, on a life insurance on a kid. And if you watch enough TV, you'll eventually notice there's a commercial about Gerber. And you're like, Gerber, isn't that a baby food company that they make those strained peas? That just makes you want to vomit, like, in your hand right now. Um, babies don't need life insurance. Very few babies and very few toddlers and very few infants earn money. And yes, it would be the biggest tragedy of your life to have to bury your child. But you don't need life insurance on said child. If you're living in Syria, yeah, maybe you want life insurance on your kid. 
If you're living in a war zone, maybe you want life insurance on your child. But the odds of your child dying are not great. And you won't need the money. You will mourn, yes. But the amount of money that you throw into it for essentially 76 plus years, since the average age is 76 plus growing, um, and one out of three kids born today are going to live to 100, so it seems like you're going to be throwing away money for a long time. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Joining me now? CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. You can also find him here on this radio station, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton, 1 to 2, Monday through Fridays here on KDOW 1220. So let's talk annuities. With bond rates still very low, annuity sales are rapidly increasing and being sold as bond alternatives. Good idea, bad idea. Who should consider this? Well, if you're you know, approaching retirement, let's say you're 55 to in retirement up to about age 75, and... I'm not talking about tax-free bonds in your taxable accounts, but bond allocations for your retirement accounts. There are some decent bond alternatives um, that are out there. The problem is is that all the areas that I see where annuity sales are rapidly increasing are all these commission-based brokers sold where people get their money tied up for like 7 to 10 years. And the only time that these are really good alternatives, Rob, is when they're guaranteed lifetime income is better than potential bond income and the return that you can get is better potential than current bond environment. Okay. So So what would that number be like? 3% guaranteed? Four to 5%. Okay. So four to 5%. So once the 10 year treasury hits about four and a half to 5%, you might change your mind and want out of these products. Okay. And you have to have the flexibility to do that. And most products don't allow that. Okay. So explain a guaranteed life Withdrawal benefit. Yeah, G- GLWB is what they. That's, it's almost every company uses that on their brochures as GLWB, right? Guaranteed cool. lifetime withdrawal benefit. I want to cry. That's I intimidating. Know. So it, it's essentially it's longevity insurance. When people want to pull four or five percent of their portfolio, you know those numbers were created in the '90s when rates on bonds were much higher and people didn't live as long. Right. So what if you do live till you're 100, 120, like uh-huh. some people actually have? What happens is if you have a, a portfolio, whether it's in an indexed type of a product or a balanced portfolio of stocks and bonds, sure. what they say is let's say you run out of money. The portfolio is drawn down to zero at age 80, and you still have 25 years to live. The insurance company then kicks in and starts paying you for the rest of your life as long as you live, even though your portfolio is at zero. There are some people thinking that we are going to be modifying, modifying genetics in the next 10 years, and we may live a lot longer. Right. What do you think is going to happen in the insurance industry if things like that play out? What's interesting is your rates would actually go down. The longer that people live, the more period of time that they're paying premiums in. Yeah. Um, and they, they just build up a portfolio of conservative bonds to support all of their policies. So when people live longer, <clears throat> they pay premiums for a higher, a longer period of time, and your rates could actually go down. So how are the returns calculated in these income annuities? Like, how how are they knowing they can't afford to be wrong? Yeah. Well, and essentially what they're insuring, too, is is a very low risk, right? Because there hasn't been a 10-year period in our history, even from 97 or 98 to 2008 or 99 to 2009, where a balanced portfolio of stocks and bonds has lost money. 
So the risk is actually quite low. What these things do is say, okay, since my income for life is higher than bonds, it'll allow me to take my bond money and take a little bit more aggressive approach with it. So the returns are either in the index to form where they say, okay, you can get a certain amount of the upside of the S&P 500. So if the S&P 500 does like 20%, you might get 5 So you get a cap of the okay. movement of the S&P 500, no dividends, and just a cap. that's a bad thing, right? No, it's better than bonds right now. Okay. Because bonds, paying three, all you need is a couple of years of good market, average market returns right. to beat three to five years worth of a bond fund or a CD rate. But what if the market goes up 30% and you're capped at 6%? Well, you're not comparing it to a stock portfolio. You're comparing uh, it to bonds. Okay. So it's never going to beat the stock market in the long run. It's a bond alternative. Okay, but you see where my mind goes. Yeah, because you're thinking of in terms of stocks. It's not a wealth-building tool for young people. Mm, you caught me. So um, the annuities are horrible for young people. Um, so you can have an index return where it's a cap rate. So if the market goes up 20%, you might get 5 market goes down 20%, you just get 0 that year. Um, or you can have an insured portfolio. We have a, a mix of stocks and bonds, and an insurance company will say, if this portfolio ever goes to zero, we'll kick in and continue the 4 to 5% for life, whatever age you are. Um, variable annuities, unless you already have one, are because of these new insured portfolio options, or it's an annuity without being an annuity contract, um, you don't really need variable annuities anymore. So you should get out of those. If you have one, email it to me, and I'll tell you what the fees are and how much you can save by, by getting out of it. Briefly, how are beneficiaries taxed on annuities? Well, that's the thing is that, you know, if it's an IRA, if you used IRA money to buy the annuity, they can roll it into an inherited IRA. But this is why you don't use taxable money for annuities because if you die with an annuity in a taxable account or a non-qualified account, your heirs pay the taxes at their bracket, Gotcha. Where you could have pulled some of the money out, and you might be, you know, 80 years old and only at 15% bracket. So your heirs pay the unrealized taxes. A lot to discuss. If you want to discuss it further with CFP Chad Burton, find him at newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. Let's say you're in an annuity that's paying two and a half percent that you're paying two and a half percent to be in. Maybe it's time to get out. Time to discuss your options with CFP Chad Burton. Newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Anything that you want to talk about, hopefully uh, you're not too shy. Never take things as Bible from anyone, including myself. If I say things like, hey, Disney shares are, look great, that's to me. How do they look to you? You have to kind of like start saying, okay, why does Rob like it? Maybe try to see my side of it, but... Build your own case for it. Um, don't get too caught up in news. U.S. fourth quarter rose, uh, revised to 1%. Consumer sentiment steady in February. Some of these headlines could kind of like go blah, 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 if you look at them too much. Um, have a good strategy. Have a good plan. Don't be too freaked out. I'm Rob Black. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. 
Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Joining me now, Chief Market Analyst, Briefing.com. Man, I've had a relationship with for probably about 18, 19 years, even though he doesn't realize it. I've been following Briefing for 18 to 19 years. How are you, sir? Hey, Rob. I'm doing well, thanks. After 19 years. So, and thanks for being You've with been, us all that time. <laughs> You've been with Briefing the whole time, haven't you? Uh, uh, I have. Uh, well, Briefing actually, we started uh, as a company in uh, 93. I came aboard in 97. But uh, So, yeah, I've been here 19 years uh, this week, yeah. as a matter of fact. So that makes me correct in my, my memories, which is good. I'm not senile yet. Um, January and February, I would like to forget. Is that a fair statement? Well, those who forget history tend to repeat it, right? Or so, the, uh, you know. I, I, I guess, um, you know, as an investor, you, you want to try and put that out of your mind and, and hope for better things uh, in the road ahead. Um, and you know, just have to see what happens. I know uh, that you're you're aware, based on the interviews we've had, uh, certainly more recently. I'm not feeling all that uh, terrific about the market outlook in 2016. Uh, based primarily on the fact that, uh, and I would say the underreported fact, that uh, corporate earnings continue to look really poor. Um, you know, you're not getting any earnings growth these days. And, uh, and I'd add that uh, projections for the, you know, the first quarter and the second quarter are, are negative. Uh, and yet we've got a market that, you know, <laughs> is rallying right now um, from, I guess, from an oversold condition, but seems to be respecting some of these technical bounds it's been um, moving in uh, for many months now. And when you take a look at those kind of numbers, it sounds pretty desolate. And then you see numbers like home sales or home prices and auto sales, they look pretty good. But is that also a negative because record auto sales eventually leads to not record auto sales, which equals negative thoughts? Yeah. Am Am I thinking the right way of finding bad news and the good news? Well, I, I suppose. I mean, the market is, is a forward-looking entity, right? And I think there is some concern, certainly as it relates to auto sales, which have been so strong uh, for for quite some time now that they're nearing, you know, uh, that they're peaking. You know, uh, that doesn't mean necessarily that they have to, you know, collapse. It just means that you're not going to see, you know, the same rate of growth that you've been seeing in in, um, in recent years, and and that's. Seems to have been reflected in the in the auto stocks, really. You know, which just haven't responded as enthusiastically as you might think to some you know really good auto sales data. Um, home sales, you know, they're they're trending higher. I think in a in a more uh, deliberate fashion. You know, which does suggest you could see sort you know some continued gains there. Uh, helped in part, obviously, by you know low financing rates, uh, mortgage rates near at historic lows, frankly, and. And that will be an underpinning factor, as will uh, any type of income growth that we can see, uh, you know, in coming months. Uh, that should help things along there. We just need more inventory, really. And I think uh, that's been one of the main uh, elements holding back uh, stronger growth in the housing market is there just haven't been enough supply out there uh, to meet some of that pent-up demand. What are your thoughts on Super Tuesday and how it plays out, not necessarily politically, but tied towards the stock market? Well, you know, the markets, you know, they don't like uncertainty. And, and what press reports are suggesting is that you should get at least uh, some degree of certainty coming out of Super Tuesday in terms of knowing 
who the most likely uh, nominees are going to be on the Republican and the Democratic side of things, and that being Donald Trump and, and Hillary Clinton. Um, so the market, I think, as it looks at Super Tuesday, is at least um, has a measure of relief that uh, that some of that certainty will avail itself here. Um, I can't say that the market necessarily is wildly optimistic about any of these candidates, um, you know, anyway. So, but it does remove an, a layer of uncertainty here if Super Tuesday does produce some pretty clear front runners on either side of those, um, um, you know, political philosophies. With other thoughts out there, um, what, are you, what are you looking at as far as importance Goes. Well, like I know China's know, in the news. China oil, the kind of the old standbys are still all there, right? They are, you know, and and you know I'm a fundamental analyst, and so I continue to uh, sometimes, you know, um, beat a drum here that nobody hears it from time to time as this market trades, you know, opportunistically. Um, you know, I, I'm emphasizing the fact that you know global economic growth. You know, just isn't great. You know, um, and you can see that uh, certainly in the export data, uh, not only out of the U.S., uh, which has been held back obviously by the stronger dollar, but in other more strongly export-oriented economies like uh, South Korea and Japan and and uh, Germany, which which have had the benefit of weaker currencies, but really haven't seen any uh, strong export growth. So it's not just a, a U.S. strong dollar issue. Uh, we're seeing export declines around the globe because there's a, a global demand issue that just isn't there. Um, and then on top of that, you know, I continue to, as I said at the top of the interview, continue to look at what's going on with corporate earnings. Uh, and there's um, uh, nothing at this moment, certainly, that looks all that optimistic in terms of earnings um you know, returning to a, a, a you know a growth component here. We're still stuck in a period where you're likely to see earnings decline. Now, I do think if oil prices can continue to hold up here and perhaps move you know incrementally higher, you start to see some of the uh, lowered earnings estimate for the energy sector perhaps tick up a notch, and that could kind of help things along here. Um, but overall, still the earnings picture isn't looking too stellar. And I, I continue to be caught up in this, uh, in, in where market rates are going. I mean, when you look at a German boon yield that's approaching 0.1%, and you have Japan issuing 10-year debt uh, today at negative rates, you know, those at those levels, it certainly doesn't scream optimism about the economic outlook, you know, and uh, and that's, you know, disconcerting on a number of levels here and so there just isn't a lot of confidence right now i think in that economic outlook and so uh so you still have some of that flight to safety because there's still demand for debt at such low levels uh, but that's likely also to keep pressure here on the the long end of our treasury curve as those interest rate differentials uh prove somewhat attractive to foreign buyers who really can't get any yield at home what's interesting to note is you sound relatively negative or you sound like there's, there's not a lot of positives. There's, and yet, I, I don't sense, Mr. O'Hare, that you're you're calling for a negative, panic reaction, a move out of stocks. Um, what's your action from some of the data that you're presenting? Right. Well, it's a fair characterization. I am, you know, somewhat negative just based on the, the fundamental picture I see in front of me. 
Um, and so really what, you know, we had suggested, you know, coming into the year is essentially is that you, um, you know, trim some of the equity exposure here, uh, certainly in, in a lot of those, you know, high-flying names, and that, that has proven to be a good recommendation. Um, those stocks that led the way last year uh, have not done so hot this year. Uh, we've started to point out how, um, you know, high-quality Dividend growth companies, uh, specifically, you know, these dividend aristocrats, which have a long-standing history of raising their dividend in, in all sorts of economic environments, are, you know, perhaps a safer way to play it from an income side of things right now. And uh, and so we're just we're, we are pretty much expressing, you know, a note of caution here uh, because we think that this market can sometimes get too carried away with the policy stimulus trade and really just ignores. Uh, you know, fundamental factors. And, and in the end, at some point, fundamentals always matter. And so you have a market that is trading at a fairly full valuation with declining earnings estimates and decelerating economic growth around the, around the world. Uh, it's not the greatest recipe here, we think, for um, being overly aggressive with one's equity exposure if your time horizon doesn't stretch beyond a year. Right. So if you have a longer term and time horizon, you know, we again have said that you can be opportunistic with some of these sell-offs here to start scaling into some of those beaten down areas like energy and transportation and retail, which we've identified uh, for your listeners in, in, in recent interviews as well, uh, and start scaling into those positions for some, for some long-term holdings. But uh, it's just not the right environment, we think, to get overly aggressive at this point in time if you have a very near-term uh, outlook. We've got about a minute and a half. Any thoughts that you want to throw out there that we should be paying attention to, anything that you're working on that, that might give us some insights? Sure. Well, uh, you know, certainly the, the thing to pay attention to, uh, you know, comes at the end of the week here. That's the February employment situation report. Um, probably going to produce, you know, more of the same, uh, which is to say, you know, you're getting, you know, generally, you know, reasonably good data on the employment side of things here. Uh, and then the hourly earnings component is going to be the real focal point there. Um, we started to see some, some you know, increases there, which have um, been a welcome sight. Uh, economically speaking, uh, may not be so great for a market that really isn't pricing in any type of rate hike here anytime soon, but if we continue to see average hourly earnings tick up on a year-over-year basis, it does go toward the Fed's view that uh, inflation should start moving toward its longer-term you know, target and achieving that longer-term target of 2%, and that might leave the Fed inclined to go ahead and raise rates, uh, perhaps not in March, but maybe in April, June time period, which the market is not uh, basically prepared for at this point in time based on what we're seeing in the Fed Funds futures market. Thanks very much. That's Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst with Briefing.com. I've been following his work for a long time. It's consistent as ever. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. You can find Patrick and briefing.com online at, get this, briefing.com. Listening to Rob Black and Your Money 
on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. One of four Americans is on the verge of financial ruin. The rich keep getting richer. Thank you very much. The rest of us, not so lucky. Nearly one in four Americans have credit card debt that exceeds their emergency fund or their savings. That's partially because many people, in addition to their debt, don't have a dime in their emergency fund at all. That is one step away from financial ruin. I had a friend who lost a tooth. Um, Pretty girl. (laughs) This is kind of a funny story. Cavity from childhood blew up. Um, And underneath there, there, well, cavity basically became a crown, and the crown basically became a festering area of uh, not healthy tissue. And uh, so the whole tooth had to be removed. And it was $6,000. And on occasion, I'll tell friends and family, if you need me to loan you money, I'll do it. Um, No strings attached. When I loan money to friends and family, I kind of assume I'm never going to see it again because ultimately it creates really, really bad feelings if I don't see it again, right? So... On this case, six thousand dollars. You know, that's if you make sixty thousand a year, that's ten percent, right, for a tooth. She's a pretty good-looking woman. She doesn't want to have a hole in her mouth, making out with a guy, and his tongue gets in there and finds this big empty socket where a tooth used to be. She wants to fill that. She wants to fix it as best she can, as best as medicine can. And I told her, I was like, you can go to San Francisco State and, you know, it'll take probably two to three months to get an appointment, but practicing dentists want to practice on you and they'll do it for, you know, half the cost. Um, There's ways that you can try to cut it, but most of Americans aren't prepared for a tooth going bad. Um, Some age groups are worse off than others. The percentage of, of people who say credit card debt is greater than emergency savings is worst on people age 30 to 49. About 26 percent. Um, 50 to 64 year olds, about 25 percent. The ideal situation is to have no credit card debt and at least six months of savings in an emergency fund. More than that, if you have dependents. Reality is that most of us don't have even close to that. So um, you need to kind of suck it up and do it yourself. In my opinion, there's some great credit cards out there. I use Barclays. Arrival card, I get 2% on all transactions that goes into ultimately flights or hotels for myself. Um, That's a pretty good perk. Um, I pay off my credit card every month. There's the Citibank, uh, 2% cash back, 1% as you earn it, 1% as you pay it off. So everything costs 2% less. So everything that you buy and I buy, I'm getting it for 2% cheaper than you if you're using a debit card. That just makes people use debit cards look stupid. Now... You know, I told you they're to get richer. A lot of us will sit around and say, you know, we're watching like the the Warriors games and like, whoa, that's a lot of fun. I'd do that for, yeah, I'd work for like a million dollars for sure. There was a guy named Delonte West. He was an eight-year NBA uh, player. He finished his career in 2012, 32 years old. He earned $16 million when he played with Boston, Seattle, Cleveland, and Dallas. He was recently seen walking around a jack-in-the-box in Houston, wearing a hospital robe and no shoes. 
uh, TMZ has a sports department now, and they, they found him and said, are you Delonte West? And he goes, I used to be, but I'm not about that life anymore. Things got worse. Um, the questioner said, you know, what happened? And his career was a curious one filled with unbelievable off-the-court stories to complement solid everyman stats. He played more than 400 games. He shot about 45% from the field. He finished with 4,000 career points. But he also turned a big problem. He was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in 2008. Um, he slept with LeBron James's mom. Um, he's denied that, but that was the story. And he's got a kid who, you know, has to go to school and all the kids tease him that his dad slept with LeBron James's mom. Um, a little bit of dementia, a little bit of bad health can turn $12 million, $14 million into almost nothing. Let's go to a caller, Jesse. Jesse, how are you? Hi, Rob. Um, uh, three years ago, I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Um, in the last couple of months, uh, pretty much my health has been in a free fall. And I've thought about uh, seriously about disability. Uh, I've for the last 15, 20, 20 years, I've saved up diligently and invested diligently for for where uh, my retirement. But I didn't factor this in. So okay, how can you help me to uh, deal with Parkinson's at an age where I'm 59 right now, and uh, I don't know what to do. Yeah, Jesse, how much money do you have? What are you talking about as well, far as assets? Half a million. Okay. Jesse, what I'm going to suggest, and thanks for the call, I don't know enough about your disease, um, Parkinson's. I don't know about your diagnosis. I would say at age 59, whether you have a disease or don't have a disease, that's going to debilitate your life. I would seriously, quickly make an appointment with a financial planner, a certified financial planner. You hear CFP Chad Burton, New Focus Financial, all the time on this show. Um, and start coming up with a plan, and maybe even a health directive as well. Um, a budget, and you know that money will go fast. Poor health in retirement is very, very expensive. And at age under 60, you probably still could work, um, but maybe not with a, dis- a, a, a disease that disables you. So I would say make a plan with a financial planner sooner rather than later, and start coming up with, you know, a plan, a three to five year plan, and you're gonna have to go at those kind of levels, in my opinion. Um, I don't know what you have as far as assets go. I don't know if you have a home or no home. Um, I don't know if you're diversified or not. But I think now is a good time to get a, a really good budget going, and consider working with a financial planner so that you can spot mistakes. You know, potentially, like, hey, move out of the Bay Area if if that's the case. Go to an area where you can enjoy your life and enjoy your money for a little bit longer. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.